you got to be able to say to this other person in your mind, you were right, I was wrong. Hi, welcome to another episode of Bhaktari MD. And this year, we are going to be covering Crash CEO School. And what we're going to focus on is how to make you a better leader, how to give you the tools so you can run any department, any organization like a pro, where you don't have to make all the mistakes that most of us made as we were starting out, especially in the early part. So basically, if you watch this season and absorb some of the tools we've given you, hopefully you'll be able to move your organization in the right direction and get some of the results that you wanted. So today's episode, we are going to be talking about CEO management skills. And what do I mean by management skills? At the end of the day, being a leader, being in charge of any organization is really about managing your team, managing the people who are going to help you grow the organization. And how you manage them is going to really determine how fast or what direction your organization grows. If you really think about it, people look to the leaders of departments and organizations to give them direction, not only on knowledge, but on tone, strategy, culture, overall commitment. And at at the end of the day, if they don't feel like they have a leader that has certain qualities, it will impact the product that they put out. You know, you often see the statistics that the number one reason people quit a job is really they quit their boss for the most part. It's really the number one reason. It's one thing to be an okay boss, but really to be a great boss, to really excel at it and instill confidence in the people in your organization, not only will hopefully get a better product out of your team, but also help you maintain retention, employee retention, staff retention, and staff satisfaction, and their overall happiness to being there. So if you want to kind of measure it on a happiness scale, you know, you can say two organizations are being run relatively well, but clearly there is different levels of satisfaction that people in an organization can have. So it's not even a matter of just, you know, doing this much, but I think really the more you can do some of these things, the better your results will be. So today we're actually going to talk about the nine secrets of being a great CEO or a great leader. So let's talk about number one. Number one, people want to work for someone who's a good person. You know, as we say it, be a mensch, be a good person. What does that mean, of course? That means honesty, integrity, compassion, learning the Ten Commandments, the basic tenets of being a good person. Okay, so obviously this one is a little tough because this is stuff that hopefully, you know, people's parents have instilled in them. But, uh, and, you know, for a lot of people, 
whatever level they've gone to, uh, that ship has sailed by the time they're they're in this position. But understand that people want to generally work for people who are good people and not just somebody who is there just to make money or do whatever else. So people gravitate to other people who are in charge of them if they really feel that this is a good human being, uh, as they say, a mensch or any other word that you want to use to to put in that for that quality. But to be a good guy, a good girl, uh, a decent human being um, are intrinsic things that hopefully uh, is just a part of you. But that is, without that secret sauce, I think you yourself would realize that, you know, nobody really wants to work for an organization that their leaders are not really top-notch. And that will, especially a startup, you know, maybe in a Fortune 500 company, you know, some of those people might be able to get away with it. But in a small to medium-sized organization, uh, that's almost indispensable if the leaders are not, do not have honesty, integrity, compassion, uh, caring. Okay, so that's number one. Number two, similar to number one, but I'm just going to spell it out more people before business, okay? And what do I mean by that? Of course, that doesn't mean you should run your business into the ground because you're worried about people. But what we have found is that if you're actually concerned about people, you're concerned about their well-being, you're concerned about them moving ahead um, in their professional life, uh, professionally, financially, and otherwise, um, that people tend to acknowledge and appreciate that. And occasionally, it does mean crossing the line and you know, finding out potentially, or if they want to share with you some struggles they're going through outside of work. I don't think that necessarily needs to be a big part of it, but certainly you need to be attuned to people going through different life things. And we've all, you know, no one's had this perfect life where they've had no struggles and no surprises. And so that's just part of life and to be there and supportive for people. What's interesting that, I, you know, I, I get a lot of pullback when people say, you know, we're here to make money, we're, you know, we're we're here to grow our organization and increase revenue. But it's interesting, but if you have this strategy that you're going to be concerned with people, what we have found is that the money follows, if done correctly. Obviously, you can't throw caution to the wind and, you know, just not care about money or finances or your product or whatever. But on a cultural level, people need to be first and the money should follow, assuming all things, everything else is equal. Next one is a tough one because I, th- I think it could be a video onto itself, and that is admitting when you're wrong. I think a lot of people who are in leadership view admitting when they're wrong as a sign of weakness, that they're not a great leader, but nothing could be further from the truth. Uh, so I want you to practice this next line, okay? Just just practice it at home. You got to be able to say to this other person in your mind, you were right, I was wrong. You were right, I was wrong. You almost have to say that, okay? And believe me, nothing is worse than a boss who is wrong but still wants to hold on to part of it. Yes, I was wrong, but you don't understand. You know, given the facts at the time, you know, just it doesn't, who cares? You know, come clean and I don't, in fact, you will get more respect and not less. 
But I think there is this thinking saying that if I show that I'm having second thoughts about my thinking, let's say you went to the marketing meeting and say, I think we need to push in this direction. And you made a big push and the data came back and nothing could be further from the truth. It helps to own that. Just say, you know, guys, just I do remember that meeting two months ago. I remember I pushed for this and yeah. I'm here to tell you, boy, was I wrong. This idea that people will think less of you, if anything, you'll you'll be elevated in the minds of many people because they realize that you just have the best interest of the company. And just like them, if they made a mistake, you'd probably want to see that in them. But you have to set the example for, you know, that it being a culture where someone can you know, admit they could have gone in a different direction and they didn't. And being wrong is not 100%. Sometimes you're just a little bit wrong. But even taking ownership of, you know, yeah, I think I was on the same train with that and turned out to be wrong, and so I own that too. This concept that you were right, I was wrong, or I own that, that, you know, that's 100% on me sometimes, are things you have to learn to say. If you are the head of an organization and you have never said, I own that mistake, you know, I got that one, that's on me, or say, or when someone had a conflicting view, saying, hey, you know what, you are spot on on that, and I I missed it on that one, okay? I totally missed it, I own that. This is the culture you need to be cultivating, because if you're talking like that, what does that do? It gives people permission for them to talk like that. But if you're always deflecting, minimizing, you know, saying, well, yeah, okay, yeah, that might have been, but, you know, I had five excuses for that. Uh, and what's the upside for mentioning your excuses? Whatever it was, who cares? You know, just t- take it anyway, right? Even if you in your mind thinking, oh, there is some rationale that I wasn't totally wrong. What what's the upside of that at that point? Just just say you know what I own that I got it mine. Let me digest that to make sure I incorporate that into my decision making moving forward. Okay, okay. Next thing, this is they're all kind of similar, but this one is never ever be the smartest guy in the room. So you're at a meeting in your organization, you're in the marketing meeting, the HR meeting, uh, the tech meeting. You do not have to be the smartest guy in the room. Sometimes, even if you think you know, you have a lot of insight, there's no win in proving to your own staff that you have all this knowledge. How's that helpful? Obviously, you want to contribute and make sure things move in the right direction. But spouting things just to confirm that you have a great handle uh, on the latest technology advances or blah, 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 just for the sake of it, is not a win for you. No, it's just not a win. So this idea is, you know, you want to contribute and even win in certain meetings you know the most. It's not necessarily a win if you come off as the smartest guy in the room. Again, this is a very strong temptation because like, hey, I'm going to prove to everyone why I'm the CEO because I'm so smart. And in reality, I think that can work against you. I think people will understand how smart you are by the fact that you're stable, you, you know, you can be quiet, digest all the information and just sporadically, you know, give your opinion 
surgically at the right moment when it'll have an impact, not just to take up air, to take up space, or to be blabbing for the sake of blabbing, okay? Very hard skill to acquire, but shutting up and listening, even when you know where things are going, is something that is going to work in your benefit in the long term. Next, invest time in learning the different departments in your organization. You know, I've seen a lot of leaders who say, you know what, I don't know anything about marketing. I'm just going to let the marketing people handle that. Or I don't know anything about this, this the IT side of this whole project. Uh, we'll just let them handle it. One, I think it helps you to have a better control of the direction of your company if you spend some time learning what they're involved in. One, because you often have the higher level perspective. So the IT department or the marketing department or the social media department may be gung-ho on something, but you are at the, you have the satellite perspective of the company's direction. You just met with competitors. You met with people who want to invest in your company. They may have other thoughts. And what's happening on a micro level may not match up with what the macro push of your company is. So this whole idea that you're just going to let marketing do what they're going to do and let IT because you you know it's just going to be too much brain damage to understand all of that. And that may mean that you may actually have to spend some time in those departments, get educated, learn about it, maybe go to their com- go to their HR conference that your HR people are going to. Go to the marketing, go to the social media conference that your social media people are going to. Understand their business, understand their challenges. And also when there's a problem, they are much more likely to come to you if they feel like you're an affiliate member of their department. And I think it's that sense that you are an honorary member of the HR department and you're an honorary member of the marketing department. You're an honorary member of you pick your you know department and once they feel like you have some vested interest in what they're doing on a micro level the amount of respect and the amount of times they will come to you with challenges is going to be significantly more because you're not this unapproachable person who thinks their department is some big black box that nobody understands. So invest in learning your departments will pay off a lot. Next one is be available. Okay, I have seen this happen so many times, and it actually even happens in department heads. Uh, you know, I will ask one of my staff, "Hey, why don't we get, you know, Susie, who's in charge of social media?" Like, oh, she's always in meetings. She, she, you know, well, what, yeah, let's just work around that. Or she never takes her call, or he never takes her call, or uh, you know. And what I always say is, once you get a reputation of not being available. What you will find is that people that would call you for minor stuff just say, you know what, let me wing it. But if they know you're the guy that, you know, picks up the phone almost, you know, whenever, and even occasionally nights and weekends, whatever, you're more much more likely for staff to approach you for problems that may be small now, but huge tomorrow potentially. But you were in on it on the ground floor. So a lot of times like, you know, something hits the wall, but it's been brewing for three months. 
But you're like, well, how, how come nobody ever told me that, that we're having this problem with our servers and blah, blah, blah? Well, we've been working on it. We've got a consultant. But this is the first time I'm hearing about it. Well, you know, we didn't really want to bother you with it. We thought we had it under control. Well, no, now it's not under control. I wish I knew because uh, I could have, you know, blah, blah, blah. Again, people will only come to you if they feel un that you're available. And it's it's a continuum. The more available they think you are, the more likely they are to reach out to you early, often, and things which they may be a big deal for them, but they feel like they shouldn't bother you. It's just, you know, they don't, they'll handle it. So being available is really, really huge. Why hasn't getting a simple laboratory test been as easy as ordering something online? Well, now it is. With three simple steps on enationaltesting.com, you can have your laboratory test ordered, go in for testing the same day, and get your results quickly, right to your email. Enational testing is fast, convenient, and confidential. Begin taking charge of your health today with Enational Testing's complete healthcare panels and easy to understand results at over 2,000 locations nationwide. No matter who you are, where you are in the United States, or what your health concerns are, E-National Testing is your comprehensive resource for laboratory testing services. It's time to focus on yourself. Let us do the hard work for you. E-National Testing. Easy, convenient, and tailored to your health needs. So we talked about being available. The next thing, number seven, is to take people's temperature. What do I mean by that? Obviously, uh, that's a medical term, but... Uh, when someone approaches you or wants to speak to you or you're passing someone in the hallway or you're all sitting around before a meeting, I think there's a sense that you the conversation has to be very practical and directed and not to just find out how the person is doing in a meaningful way. I know we always say, hey, are you having a good day, blah, blah, blah. But especially when you're one-on-one with uh, you know your team to really – Ask them how they're doing, what's going on. Not necessarily like getting into their private lives. It doesn't even have to be. It can be professional. But asking genuine open-ended questions, or as I call it, taking their temperature, is a way that you will find out things that you couldn't have dreamt about. There are things that people will only tell you once they get an invitation to be open. So often, you know, I may turn to someone and say, hey, how are you doing? I'm like, oh, I'm doing fine. Well, yeah, you know, what's going on? Anything new? Like anything you want to share with me? And they don't know what to make of that, but it does give them an opportunity that if there was something, you know, there's some sort of conflict in that department they've been meaning to tell you about, they're really having a problem with, you know, one of one of their big clients and they they. They think they're handling it well, but they're not sure, blah, blah, blah. And I think this open invitation to just tell me whatever you want. Now, I think at first blush, people are going to think, well, you're just making idle chatter and you're just being nice. But it has to come through your body language. Like, no, really, like, give, give me some news. I often say that. Just, you know, what's the good news? Give me some news. Give me an update. Anything. Just tell me anything that's going on. Now, 
Why do I say it like that? Because I don't want to be specific. I don't want to say, hey, just tell me how that new campaign is going. That's very specific. Rather than do that, just ask very open-ended questions. Take their temperature. Just say, how's it going? Now, sometimes it may spill into something personal, which is fine. Uh, and of course, you know, I mean, you know, we're all human beings. We're not just robots. And uh, obviously, if it's something personal, you're going to have to deal with that uh, based on the situation. But this idea that you are going to give the person the freedom to pick and choose things that are on their mind, and then you will have heads up on things that you might be able to help out in, and you may be able to give direction to, or you may be able to intervene. So really um, taking people's temperature is really huge. Um, and almost at every meeting, if I'm sitting around with someone on the team or we're waiting for a Zoom meeting to start, that idle chatter could be some of the most valuable time in your whole day, right? The idle chatter you have with your teammates can be mind-blowing. Uh, I, I wish I could tell you all of the things in, in my career I've learned <laughs> just from idle chatter, but you know, with, an, with intention of just finding out how that other person is doing. And sometimes you hear great news. Oh, you know, uh, I wanted to tell you uh, we're buying a new house and I'm so excited and or we're having a, you know, I just found out I'm pregnant or I just found out, uh, you know, um, my dad is moving in with us and that's really making me happy. Or, hey, I'm, I've been working on this, you know, on this new uh, vendor and I think we, we're really going to get, this vendor is going to blow the, our last vendor out of the water. Or we're getting, I'm working on this new client. And you'll be also be able to see how their their mind is working and what they're thinking, and and to, to the extent that you might be able to advise them and be a mentor and give them advice on those you know business issues that they're having uh, can be invaluable. Some of the best stuff that we've ever come up with has come from idle chatter. Okay, similar to this is, and I think I'm going to make a whole video on this is. Ask questions instead of barking out commands or your decisions. So whenever you've made a decision, it's best never to announce your decision, okay, on anything, because it's unnecessary. You never have to, you know, we, I've announced, you know, I want to make an announcement where we're, you know, we're going to get rid of that product that we have and we're going to stick with these products. Or, you know, we're, uh, I've decided that we're going to, you know, tweak our technology development in this level or into this direction, not that direction. That's completely unnecessary. And instead of barking out what, what you've decided, and this, this doesn't mean you, you shouldn't decide, but once you've made a decision, there is a way to build consensus 99 out of 100 times to get everyone to come to the same conclusion because often whatever you did to come to that decision is pretty clear that any reasonable person given all the facts would come to that same decision unless you really have some inside you know view of something so what i'm suggesting is this instead of saying you know i this i think we should eliminate this product is you know i'll start off with the meeting and say hey guys listen i want to talk about product x you know, how's it been doing? Okay, what are the numbers like? Got it, got it. And given the effort we put in and the man hours that it takes to, you know, 
have that product or service. What does everyone feel the return on that is, given our other products, right? If done correctly, people should come to the same conclusion. And of course, if they do, then you say, so what I'm hearing in the room from everything I'm hearing is sounds like maybe this isn't really worth our time. Is, is this what I'm hearing? And what will happen is the buy-in when everyone comes to the decision is much stronger. So let's just say you got rid of a product that in retrospect you shouldn't have. If you were the one that barked out, let's get rid of it. And then later on, oh, we had we no, there is this one client that really needs us and it's it's gonna really hurt us. But if it was if it was consensus, then walking it back, they're they're not gonna be like, oh, we gotta put this product back because look, our boss thought we should get rid of it. He was wrong. Look at the pain we have to go through now to put it back. I'm just making that up. But in general, if everyone's own owns the decision, everyone's gonna, you know initiate the change more robustly. And on the off chance, you have to walk it back. Since it was a consensus, there isn't this feeling that somebody made us get rid of it. Now we got to put all the, you know, it's like tear that wall down. Oh, no, rebuild it. And like, oh my gosh, look at our boss. Made us tear the wall down. Now we got to put it back up. But if it was everyone's decision to tear the wall down, somehow now putting that wall back up it's not going to be as big of a pain as it would have been when it was 100% your decision. All right. So this is the next one is similar. And it is when asking questions, really try to ask as many open-ended questions as possible. So instead of saying, you know, what is our sales number for that product? You know, I think get starting off broadly like hey let's discuss sales in general how are we doing and then work your way into that department or into that product again it's similar to the one above but the more open ended questions you say ask and just talk about hey let's just talk about marketing today in general uh how is it going and let those problems come to the surface as part of a, a bigger problem as opposed to just saying hey i really want to talk about you know, our marketing and specifically in terms of how much we're spending on Google for, or how much we're spending on Facebook. That may be an issue that's bothering you. But to start off with a general conversation about how, what's our marketing budget? How are we spending it? Where are we doing really great? Where do we see challenges? Where could we be doing better? Open-ended questions. And what I have found is a lot of times you will get feedback that you didn't know. So you would have made a bad decision if you just focused on that because you're hearing many other sides of it by asking an open-ended question and not just going right to what's bugging you the most. Okay, so nine secrets, super secrets, don't tell anyone, just between me and you about CEO management skills. I think if you deploy these nine skills, there's more, of course, but if you, this is a great starting point, if you deploy these nine skills and use them religiously, I think you're going to find tremendous amount of success. This is stuff that over time you're gonna learn anyway, so why not adopt them early in your leadership journey? Okay, I'm gonna stop there and thank you so much. Uh, Please make sure you comment, like, and subscribe. Uh, It really helps the channel, especially 
if you give us feedback on what you like, what you want to see more of, uh, and we're more than happy to put it, put it out there. Thank you again. Have a great day. Bye.